Hi there. Welcome to the How to Market Your Horse Business podcast. I am Denise Alvarez, your host, and I'm so glad that you're here with me today. And I know I say that every week, but I promise you, I do mean it. I do not take it for granted that you are spending your time listening to this podcast, and I hope that you're getting a return on that time and that you're walking away with some great information to help market your horse business. Now, before I jump into today's episode, in case we are new friends, I'll tell you just a bit about myself and my business, Storm Lily Marketing in particular. So through Storm Lily Marketing, I get to help horse business owners like you convert your website visitors into your customers. And there are a few different ways I do that, which include coaching, website design, website content, email marketing strategy, and my Social Stride membership. So I do each of these things because I want to help you be out in the barn or out in the arena getting to do what you love to do. And I know that marketing is not everybody's cup of tea, or maybe it is, but you just don't always have time to take that drink. And so I'm glad you're here listening on the podcast because I love to give you some step-by-step strategies some basic how-tos so that you can not only see what's possible for your horse business, but so I can help guide you through that process to help you make it happen. So today on the podcast, we are diving into something very specific, and it is sponsorship revenue. But before we get to that, how did we get there, right? Well, in the past few episodes over the past couple of months, we have talked about different advertising methods. We've even talked before on the podcast about signs, and maybe signs are a way that you would market your business through sponsorships. And so I will be sharing links to some of those previous podcast episodes, of course, on our show notes which will be stormlily.com slash 46. But each of the questions that we have asked or talked about here on the podcast to get you ready for your great advertising strategy are very well tied into what we're talking about today. So perhaps as you were considering how you're going to advertise your horse business, you thought about sponsorships. Well, next week, we're going to specifically talk to you and how you can be a great sponsor and get the most out of your sponsorship. But first, we're leading off with a conversation with a great guest that I can't wait for you to meet. And I'm talking to her about how you can increase sponsorship revenue. Now, why are we talking about that? You may be thinking, Denise, I'm a horse business. I'm not out there looking for sponsors. However, well, if you're a rider, you may be saying you're looking for sponsors, right? But for the average horse business, perhaps you're not, perhaps you are, but maybe you're on a planning committee, right, for an association or a saddle club or a 4-H club, and you're out there pitching your event trying to get sponsors. Or perhaps you are a professional and you're looking for ways that you can get sponsorships for yourself. Or maybe you put on larger events and you're involved in those, In each of those cases, what you're doing is looking for ways to increase your sponsorship revenue, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about today is some very specific strategies that you can put in place to help you to do that well so that you can be a great event host, so that you can be a great writer or professional that has a great relationship with your sponsors. And so on the podcast today, I have invited somebody who knows this process in and out. And actually, I shouldn't say I've invited. She was kind enough to offer to share her insights. And I said, yes, please, I would love that. So India Wilkinson is her name. And she has such great experience, both from the side of being a sponsor and working with her clients that were sponsors, and she was helping them to do that and to sponsor different equestrian events. 
And she's also been on the other side. She's been that person that was securing sponsorships and had to put together those packets and those proposals and make the phone calls and send the emails and all of those things. And so she is going to share with us some very specific insights and strategies that you can use in your horse business. And I promise you that no matter the size. So India's experience, by the way, she sold over $3 million in sponsorships. So she knows what she's talking about. But I also want you to know that she's talking to businesses of all sizes and levels. So if you're a larger business, absolutely what she has to share is going to fit in with that. But if you're a smaller business, then the things that she's sharing, you can take away as well. So I'm super excited for this conversation. I know that you are going to love India as much as I did. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with India Wilkinson. Okay, India, thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm so excited for my audience to get to meet you and especially to learn from you. Uh, Before we get into the meat of that, though, I would love it if you would tell us a little bit about your background. So right now, as I said in the intro, you have an app, but even before that, how did you become a consultant for equine event sponsorships? Well, first, I just want to thank you so much for having me. It truly is an honor to be able to serve the equestrian community. I, as I've told you, I've been listening to your podcast for I guess about a year and I just, I've learned so much and have applied that to the development of the app and the marketing. So I'm really, really grateful to be here. I'm very grateful to hear that and honored to get to serve in that way. So I appreciate that so much. Yeah. So, um, yes, we developed, we started developing the app in 2019 and we just launched in May 2021. Uh, So that has kind of been a culmination of all of my experience in the equestrian world and in my marketing background. Um, I have been a lifelong equestrian, like most people that are listening to this podcast, but I also knew, I always knew I wanted to be in advertising and marketing, which was really uh, a gift because a lot of people don't really know what they want to do growing up. And I always knew that. I knew that in high school. So right out of high school, I went to work for an advertising agency And really built my career around brand marketing and very classic brand marketing. Uh, I've worked for some worldwide brands, uh, huge brands, including Bacardi USA and Remy and Marique, uh, Arby's. (laughs) Um, So some big brands and really have a strong foundation in that brand marketing. So uh, how I kind of got into this genre is... I was the person that had the budget and I was the field marketing director for those companies. And so I actually got to determine where we spent those dollars. And so that really prepared me for that next venture when I started my own equestrian marketing company because I was on the brand side. Yeah. And yeah, so it was really, it was, it was interesting because now when I look back, you know, I think about the experiences that I had when I was determining where I was going to spend the money and how I was held accountable to that, that really helps me in speaking to both the brand side and the event side. Um, You know, so working for those brands, uh, you know, and if I can give an example, I would love that. Okay. So this is one thing that, oh, I, I've learned a lot, but I I do have some pivotal moments that um, have helped other clients, you know, as I've gone in this journey. So 
I was working for a company called Remy Marique, and we had a brand called Cointreau, which a lot of people know it's a core ingredient in a lot of uh, cocktails. And I had this dream that I wanted to sponsor the Preakness. I really wanted to sponsor the Kentucky Derby, but that was out, that wasn't in my territory. So I was super excited about um, somehow figuring out how to sponsor the Preakness. And so this is another uh, part that's really helped me. I've always worked on minimal budgets and really having to maximize those budgets. And so I just went after it and I found a contact within the Preakness and they actually did need, uh, they were looking for trade. And so we traded uh, Cointreau and got a really large sponsorship with that. And so that kind of, you know, paved the way for me really learning that um, trade sponsorship is a thing and it's really powerful. And we were given one banner. We could put one banner (laughs) on the racetrack. (laughs) So I, you know, being an avid equestrian um, and watching racing growing up, I knew that the banner needed to be at the end of the racetrack where the horses circle after the race and nobody else wanted that spot. No one. So I decided that that was the spot that we wanted. And of course, at the end of the race, we had our Cointreau banner up and the horse was circling around that banner. And for us, it was a huge win. And um, what we found out is that uh, one of the major sponsors, Visa, was very upset that we got that um, that notoriety. And that for me was a huge win. I realized that if you can be very strategic and very intentional about where you place the branding and where you, you know, in, in negotiating those sponsorships, that was just a huge win for us. And what I'm going to talk about too, at the end, um, there was a part of this is, and, you know, analyzing your sponsorships and measuring them. So what I did, I took that sponsorship and I figured out what it would, what it would have cost for that airtime on NBC. And that sponsorship that we got out of donating, boxes of Cointreau ended up, you know, being hundreds of thousands of dollars in value. So that was really a, that was kind of a huge turning point for me. And it built a really solid base in my understanding of sponsorship marketing. Okay. That's awesome. That's so interesting. I appreciate you sharing that real life example. And what I want my audience to hear too, is I don't want you to hear the example that she gave and think, oh, well, I'm not doing TV time. So this may not apply to me because I have spoken with India before we even got on here. And I know that the things that she has to share are trickle down all the way to your local Sada Club Arena or the show that you might put on yourself at your facility or if you sponsor a local or national show. All of these things will apply because it's strategy is the point. Is what she's talking about analyzing. You can do the same thing no matter that level. So I know many horse business owners are familiar with the idea of event sponsorship. So maybe, like I said, you're putting on events at your facility. Perhaps you sit on a committee or a board of an association or an event or a show planning committee, or you may be on the other side of the fence and you have experienced being a sponsor. So either way, I'm super excited because the things that India has to share with you today are really going to help you make the most out of that and know how to measure your return and all of those things. So I'm really excited about this one. So India, when you and I chatted about you being on the podcast, it was perfect that you could come on and share some of those tips and some of those strategies to help horse business owners make the most of their event sponsorships from both sides, right? 
Yes. Yes. So that's where I really learned on the, so then the, the next venture was in selling sponsorships. So I actually went from, we sponsored the Atlanta steeplechase uh, when I was with Bacardi and that is a horse race, obviously in, in Atlanta. And we, um, attracted, I ended up working for them for a long time. And so we had anywhere from 25 to 30,000 spectators. So when I was working as a sponsor, I got to be really close and this will be part of what I would love to be able to share. I got really close with the event organizers and they actually ended up hiring me, which was perfect timing. I was tired of traveling and to combine my love of the equestrian world with marketing was just the absolute perfect job. Um, But really what I learned is I had never sold a sponsorship. And so when they, when they brought me on board and wanted me to sell hundreds of thousands of dollars in sponsorships, just with my personality, I was like, yes, I can do this. I really wanted this job. And I was so excited about the opportunity. And I used my knowledge in the, in the world of being the sponsor and really understanding what the sponsor wanted. And I just kind of reversed that. So when I started to sell sponsorships, I really used what I wanted to hear as a sponsor and um, applied that in my in my sales of sponsorships. So uh, throughout that, and then I ended up starting my own consulting business um, and helping other events, venues, riders um, in their sponsorships as well. And a total sold over three million dollars in sponsorships. So. Um, I'm excited to apply that experience and be able to, um, you know, educate other people on how to do this because really there is a really simple formula with all of this, even though it can be very overwhelming, um, you know, if somebody doesn't really understand it. Yeah, I love that, and I love that you have that experience from both sides, so you can understand the benefits and the pros and the cons and all of that. Um, and just the conversation and what that flow looks like or what it should look like and what it actually sometimes looks like in reality. So I love that experience that you bring to the table. And I really appreciate you being willing to freely share your insights here on the podcast. Yeah. And I just, I want to touch a little bit on why I'm so passionate about sponsorship marketing and anyone that I have ever worked for, or even, um, you know, and it, I do sell, I have sold sponsorships. I don't really think of it like that because it's not, it, there's so much more than just a sales transaction. Um, it's really about investing, you know, in an opportunity, in an event, in the community. But I'm so passionate about it from both sides. You know, I really believe that for the event or the rider, you know, sponsorship, um, sponsorship investment really fuels our sport. I mean, literally, you know, from Land Rover three day in Kentucky um, to the run for a million in the reigning world, these events from, from that level to, you know, the schooling show that has 20, you know, 20 riders in it, it's, it's across the board. Those can't happen without the sponsorship money. These are, these are coming from private funds. We don't have a public funding engine, you know, in the equestrian world. So it's really beneficial for, you know, sponsorship marketing is beneficial, but it's also necessary, you know, in our sport. Um, And then for the brand, you know, it's such a direct connection to the consumer. You know, they literally have a captive audience if it's at an event, Um, you know, they are able to interact with their, with their consumer or potential consumer. They're able to educate, they're able to 
reward, you know, and encourage and just, and be a part of it. Um, events really provide that targeted marketing that a brand is looking for. And, you know, as equestrians, we're super loyal. We're super loyal to the brands that do support us. And the more a brand can interact and be present in front of their consumer, it really, in any, in, in any category, but especially in the equestrian world, those you know, the, the loyalty really, um, is an important part of that. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I sometimes can't be tempted to jump right into the how, right. Or the strategy. (laughs) And so I'm glad that you stopped and said, look, here's why this matters because it's so true. Sponsorship is not just a transaction. And as we've talked about here on this podcast, or I have talked about here on the podcast about so many things, it's, it's a relationship. So just like building a customer base is about building that relationship, building a great sponsorship strategy from both sides, people buy from people, right? At the end of the day, people buy from people. And so it is that relationship and it's an investment. I love that you said that. And I'm sure in your strategies, you'll talk more about that, but it's so true that it's an investment in many different things. And so um, I appreciate you touching on that. I love your passion shows through, and I hope that Um, my listeners, you all, as you are listening, that you also hear that for your business, how this applies, right? And how for your discipline or for your breed, why it actually does matter. Um, So those are so good. I love that. So we agree there are some specific ways that as a host, somebody can be strategic as they are planning out their sponsorship packages, securing sponsors, serve them, all of those things. But also that there's another side of it, like you said, that you've experienced. So there's also the sponsor side. So therefore, what we're going to do is split this conversation up into two different episodes so that we can really make the most of it. So first, let's start out with the sponsor I'm sorry, the event host, I flipped it. We're going to start out with the event host and you're going to share some specific tips and strategies and things to keep in mind as an event host to get the most out of your sponsorship. And then we will talk specifically to the sponsors. And then we'll just kind of split this conversation up. That way it's easily digestible for my audience to take and apply to their business. So I appreciate you being willing to dive deep into those things. So let's get started. Let's talk specifically about that event host. What kinds of tips and strategies do they need to keep in mind as they're securing sponsors and serving and leading up to the event what that looks like? Great. So I want to, as we're doing this, I want everyone just to, you know, remember that I have been on this side. You know, I'm not just looking at this from, you know, kind of an overview. I've actually been the event host. And so I can speak directly from that experience, um, which is really exciting. You, people really don't understand how much they have to offer. And that's something that I love to do, or I love to do as a consultant. I don't, um, I only consult for one brand now. Um, but it's really exciting when I used to talk to event hosts and I would say, you know, I'd say, well, what about this? What about this? And they were like, we had no idea we could get that sponsored. And I'm like, anything can be sponsored, anything. It, that's what's so exciting about it is, is just how it's presented. And my experience in helping with events. And I think too, as you're listening to this, if you are a writer or um, like you said, a breed association, you know, really any of these concepts can be applied. Any of the concepts can be applied. They just, um, I will give some broad to do's, but you can take that and really implement it into whatever you, whatever you have to be sponsored. Um, And so what I've found when it comes to 
uh, my experience in helping an event or a rider who's looking for sponsorships is they're so focused on the operations and the organization and the execution of the actual event that sometimes the sponsorship becomes kind of an afterthought and the sponsor feels that. So I really want you know, your listeners to really understand that the sponsor feels if they are an afterthought or if they are approached at the last minute um, or if they're just handed a cookie cutter presentation. So just remember that, that there's a person on the other side, like you just said, it's person to person. There is a person on the other side that is literally looking at these proposals and researching and, and Googling and stalking your social media. It's just a person, you know, and really it's about um, connecting with that person and making them feel important and making their their brand feel valued. Uh, so I want to go through my top tips for events. And like I said, this can be applied to writers. And as Denise knows, I can get a little excited. And um, <laughs> it, was, it was actually a little bit difficult for me to put this just into five, but I think that these five top tips will be very, very helpful um, in implementing them. So my first one is, you know, coming as an event or a writer is to really define your sponsorship opportunities. So, you know, what does that mean? So it really is in this, if you can take the time and you meaning anyone that's in this position, but if you can take the time to really sit back and just brainstorm, just write this down or sit with somebody else that's in your organization and write it down or get a whiteboard, you know, whatever it is, but just start just brainstorming all of the ideas of what, where are your sponsorship opportunities? And that, that is so important because you want, before you go and present, you really need to have a good idea of what you have to offer. Um, so just defining those is the first step. And it's, it's very important, you know, and people kind of skip that because they just go for the typical, um, the ring sponsor or the, you know, the competitor party sponsor, kind of the typical things. But if you really start to look at what, what your event is all about and who comes to your event, um, you know, that's super important too, is your event, does it mostly draw children? You know, are they, are they youth riders or is this, you know, an, an adult amateur type event? So, those things are super important in defining that and then really getting down to the nitty gritty of where can you offset those expenses? So that's what I was talking about in that trade sponsorship. That's real money and that's real value. If you can get your um, concession stand sponsored, you know, say you can get uh, you know, Coca-Cola to come in and sponsor that concession stand, then anything that you sell is then pure profit. So that's when you really start getting into the nitty gritty of you know, what can be offset? Could it be your, you know, your tractor? Could John Deere donate a tractor, you know, and that's going to drag your rings. I mean, that's huge for John Deere to be out in front of. And I'm just using this as these as examples. I don't have any relationships with them, um, you know, as far as sponsorships anymore, but they would love to be in front of your front of those riders, you know, every 30 minutes. What a, what a great sponsorship that is. And that could offset some, some costs for that event. So, uh, it's really important to just sit down and th think about where can you offset those expenses and who can help you do that? Um, and what can you offer that sponsor? So really understanding who you are, that is something too, when I do consulting is really helping somebody or an event or a writer or you know the organization define really, really who they are, 
you know, um, and what you can offer with that. Because some events are really strong in social media. So where an event might live stream their cross country, if you're eventing or raining and they're live streaming that, then can they just offer a banner at the at the bottom of that? That doesn't cost anything, but for the sponsor that holds real value because then they are in front of the consumer that, you know, that entire time that they're watching. Um, some have a really strong um, strength in having, you know, they have a massive amount of riders or attendees or spectators. So that's very different. That's a very different sponsor that might, you know, want to be involved on the day-to-day basis. Maybe it's a two week long show and that sponsor can be there. So it's important to really, really write down, think about brainstorm what you can offer that sponsor as an event or a rider. And then um, number two. Oh, I'm going to pause you because you said so many good things there. (laughs) That's good stuff. So, and I love the real life examples. I really appreciate that. I hope that um, listeners that you're taking note of that, but I wanted to pull something out that you had even said in our conversation previous to this, which was as you define your sponsorship opportunities, it's good to look at what other people are doing, but don't stop there. Right. And so while it's very good to learn from other people, I think what you're saying here is so good to remember to say, look at what you uniquely have to offer um, and how that can be presented in a unique way for those sponsors as well. Yes. And that is, that's a really good point because you want to be very authentic in what you have to offer, uh, which is, is really cool because that makes you unique and most, most companies are looking for, you know, we understand on, you know, if I'm on this side of it, speaking from the brand that I do consulting for now, you know, we are, we're not looking for the, for the opportunity to be the same across the board. I'm looking for different types of opportunities. So if you're very authentic and you, and you are very specific about who you can bring to the table, how you can serve that sponsor, you know, I think that, that is, really important and makes you more relevant. Um, and it is very important to be looking around what are other people charging for that same sponsorship? Are you in alignment with the, with your, con- your competition? Because that's a huge point too. You know, I'll look at all these different sponsorship packages. One sponsorship package has the same price for 600 riders as the other sponsorship package has for a hundred. So that's, that's really off kilter, you know, so you really have to understand what, what are other people, um, you know, what's the value that other events or riders are putting on, on that sponsorship. You bet. Okay. Thanks for letting me jump in. All right. Number two. Okay. Number two. So this is, so the first one was define. Okay. So I really tried to put some words to this. So the first one was define. Um, number two is ask. So if you are, I'll just take this scenario as if you're starting from scratch. Say you are a new event, a new horse show, um, or a rider that's never had a sponsor. You want to, the first thing you want to do is write out a list of brands, businesses, services that you are currently using or that you want to be using, or, you know, it's just kind of in that, that list of, you know, I really would love to have them on board. So being very specific in who you want to talk to. And then the next step with that is that you want to start asking your network. You know, if you don't have contacts there, start to ask your network, put it out on social media, you know, Hey, does anybody have a contact at a Coke, you know, local bottling company that I could talk to and, and, what I have found in my years and years and years of, of doing this, people really genuinely want to help. They really do. And if somebody has a contact there, you know, it's likely that they will help you do that. Um, so 
it's really about defining who you want to talk to and then figuring out how to talk to them. And uh, just as a side, it's, it's a side note, but it's really important. You have to detach yourself emotionally. You really have to understand that you are putting this out there, but it's not personal. The yes isn't personal and the no isn't personal. And if you really if you ride high on the yeses, you're going to really ride low on the nos. So that's super important when you are, are developing a sponsorship package or you are, you know, as you start to ask for sponsorships is that you understand that it, it isn't personal, you know, and that will help you so much with the mindset of how can I serve the sponsor? How can I serve my community? And then that way, if it's a no, you have the more of the mindset, it's just not the right time. So you have to really be willing to put yourself out there emailing. I. I'll tell you, I love when people pick up the phone. <laughs> they don't really do it anymore. But um, in representing the brand that I do now, I love when people pick up the phone and just want to talk to me. That means so much more than just getting an email um, where they maybe have gotten my name, you know, off of a off the internet, or maybe someone has given them my name. Um, I'd rather someone email me and say, "Hey, I've got this opportunity. Do you have a second to talk?" I love that. I love to get on the phone and talk about it. Um, so just be willing to do that because again, like we talked about, it's just a person on the other side, you know, it's just another, it's a person just like you, they have their own goals, they have their own, um, you know, mission and what they need to be doing. And it's really good just to get on the phone and talk about it. Um, so that's, and, and taking out that fear of a no will really empower you and your excitement about what you do will come across so much more. And I've heard people say that, that I have ended up, you know, having as year after year after year sponsors, they loved my passion about it. They loved how excited I was about it, you know, and that I wasn't just, here's your sponsorship package. Let me know. It was really how excited I was and how much I believed and believe in the brands that I work with. Um, so then with that, you want to start with your low hanging fruit and that's so cliche, but it really does. It's, it's really important. Just like I talked about with, um, when you're looking at the sponsorship opportunities, who are the, who are the easiest people to go to? And those are the, those are the companies that you're already supporting. So if you are an event and you already order Coke products, reach out find the local bottler. That's really who it's, it's really tough to get in with, with corporate, you know, huge companies. It's tough. And, um, that took me a lot of time, you know, and a lot of connections to work with the big marketing, you know, company within Coke, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's super intimidating for anybody, you know, so start with a local bottling company. You will be shocked. And I know I've worked with Coke for, for 10 years and, they, it's actually the local bottling company that has the money that has the sponsorship dollars and they love the connection with smaller shows. They love the connection. They love to be there. They love to be on site. They love to donate, especially if you've got any kind of nonprofit component. Um, but start with the brands that you already use and that you love. It'll really come across in how you present and you can say, Hey, we're already using you. Is there anything that you could do to help us offset these costs? You know, we're trying to create a scholarship for this youth program or, you know, tell them what the goal is and really help them understand. But starting with that low hanging fruit will help you build confidence in going to the people that you don't know or that you have a 
a warm lead, um, it will really help you if you've got some of those yeses, it will really help you build that confidence. Um, so, and also when, when you as an organization or a writer or um, an event, think about brands that are outside the equestrian community. <laughs> so this, it has been, it's, it is so, so typical of a horse show or a rider or uh, an organization to only talk to equestrian companies. But you really need to have developed the mindset that equestrians are consumers first and foremost. Yes, we do have hobbies or passions or professions in the equestrian world, but we are consumers of all products. So when you start thinking like that, you really start thinking about this whole world of sponsorship opportunities. You know, it's not just the typical because the equestrian companies are getting hit up all over the place, all over the place. You know, everybody, everybody is going after them. If you can think outside of the box and start thinking about companies that would be attracted to your demographic. So again, if you've got a youth, you know, if you've got a youth, um, demographic and it's a big show and it's all concentrated on you. Think about the brands that would want to talk to mostly, and there's mostly girls, right? So it's probably 90% girls in that, in that, um, you know, in that show, in that range or whatever, you know, think about a brand that would want to talk to them. Would that be a makeup brand? Would that be a local hairstylist? Would that be a shampoo company? You know, so really starting to think about brands that are outside of the equestrian world, but still you know, that would still want to target your demographic that you have to offer. So when you start having that mindset, you really start thinking like, wow, I have a lot to offer. I have a lot to offer these sponsors. That's where you, that's the mindset you really want to get into. So some examples that I had from when I was with the Atlanta steeplechase, we had Norwegian cruise lines, which makes no sense for a horse race, right? <laughs> it just doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with equestrians at all, but they saw the opportunity in the demographic of our spectators. So they understood that our, our spectators, and I laid this out. I, I, I did a lot of research on our, our demographics and where their economic status was and their family, you know, and all of these kinds of things. So I could present that to the sponsor. They wanted that target. They that's who they wanted, and they loved their sponsorship. It was it was a hugely successful sponsorship, but it had nothing to do with the equestrian racing industry at all. Papa John's Pizza was a big one. Papa John's or any of the pizza, um, any kind of food company, they they love sponsorships. It's easy for them to offset costs with food. They love to give coupons. You know, they love to be there on site. They love to have their name as a part of it. So. That's been a really successful sponsorship partnership. Um, one that I saw when I was at the um, Winter Equestrian Festival in Wellington was Restylane. And I thought this was so funny because that's an injectable, you know, for, it's like um, something that plumps your skin up. I don't, you know. Oh, okay. I was like, right? oh, I'm so sorry. What is that? <laughs> right. Well, that's okay. so, yeah. So I was so fascinated by that. And I was, looking at this one ring down there and it was all wrestling. The banners were everywhere. And I was like, so I looked on my um, catalog thing and it was the amateur owner ring that is, is usually women between 40 and 55 years old. So wrestling knew, knows exactly who their target market is. They know exactly who their, their ideal customer is. And it's women between 40 and 55. 
So that somebody is so interesting, isn't it? Yes. I know. And I just thought that was so cool. So they were set up and I'll guarantee you, and I don't have, I, I never did any research on this. You know, I don't have any inside scoop on this. Guarantee you that those women that were there and anybody else that was a part of that, that branding is so powerful because the women of that, you know, in that genre are, you know, that have that kind of money to show there are probably, you know, getting some help in their, you know, like nip and tuck every once in a while, obviously, because the rest of lane knew where that was. And that branding is so powerful. They, you know, they probably chose that the next time that they went into the dermatologist or whoever. But I just thought that was such an incredible example of where somebody might think that was a huge disconnect. And actually, if you really thought about it, that of course, Denise, you and I were talking about how I analyze everything, every commercial, every ad. Um, but I just thought that that sponsorship was super powerful and very effective, really brilliant. Um, so, and uh, the last part of that, of number two, is to really work on getting some anchor sponsors. And sometimes that might mean giving away something um, in order to get that name. So for the Atlanta steeplechase, you know, I really worked on getting Coca-Cola and Budweiser first. Those were my big, big brands. And it took a long time to, you know, to acquire those every year. But once I had those, it was much easier for me to go and talk to the smaller, um, the smaller companies, even though I wouldn't consider them small, but compared to a hundred thousand dollar sponsorship, when I was going for a $25,000 sponsorship, once that brand or business saw that I had Coke on board or Budweiser on board, they were like, oh, it, it gave us a lot of credibility. So and something that I work on when I was consulting with events and, and with riders is helping them to get an anchor sponsor. And even if that is a trade or something like that, just to get them on board, that will really help propel your sponsorship sales. Okay. So much good stuff in there. I love that. So anchor sponsors, is that always going to, for you, when you say anchor sponsors for listeners so that they totally get that? Is your anchor sponsor, it's a big name, or is your anchor sponsor, meaning your highest dollar sponsor, both? Yes, right. That's either a or. great question. It, it can be either or, and it does not, it definitely does not have to be a big name at all. It definitely doesn't. It needs to be, or, and it doesn't really even have to be um, the sponsor that is spending the most. It probably should be a recognizable name. Um, or it could be even something, you know, if it was a smaller show, it could be a local vet, it could be a local restaurant. Um, but having a couple of sponsors already on board will help you in, in really giving them a lot of visibility. So what I would say, if, and this is all, if somebody is just starting out, you know, I always would act as we were much bigger than we were. So, um, if, there was a smaller event or something like that, then as soon as your first sponsor comes on board, you want to, pl well, you want to plaster everybody everywhere, but you really want to showcase that sponsor and, and show potential sponsors what, what you'll do for your sponsors. You know? So when I say anchor sponsors, it's really about that what some events will do, they'll wait until they have all of their sponsors and then they'll start promoting. So this is more of a way of, um, starting with, you know, your sponsors that you get, just go ahead and start your promotion, start your, start those benefits, you know, put that word out there. That's what's attractive. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the most expensive, you know, the most expensive sponsorship or the biggest, 
but it's important to get started in that promotion. So, and not wait until you have 10 on board, which is typical. This, a lot of events do that. They wait, you know, and it's really not, it's not smart business because then when another sponsor is looking at your website and they just see old sponsors from last year, then they're like, well, do they have sponsors? And I tell people, it's kind of like when someone recommends um, a restaurant and then you drive up and there's no one in the parking lot. And then you're like, well, we're not going to go there if there's no one in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. So you want to have people in the parking lot, you know, so that other people are like, oh, well, it must be good if there are people in the parking lot. Oh, so that's, that's the same kind of, yeah. So it's the same kind of mindset. And again, it's just a person behind this, you know, behind that decision making, you know, power. It's just another, it's just a person, but that person needs to see that, you know, it's a little bit, it is a little bit of a game because you do have to, you have to appear as if you have sponsors so that other sponsors want to come on board. And that's the hardest part is starting from scratch. So that's why that low hanging fruit is super important and getting those trade sponsorships, because once you have those, then that, you know, it's that, that wheel that gets oiled, it just keeps going. And that's something that I always say, it doesn't matter if you're getting a $500 sponsor or a $10,000 sponsor. You just want to keep adding those sponsors um, because that's what will attract others as well. Awesome. That makes perfect sense. Okay. Thank you for that. All right. Number three. Number three is listen. So gosh, this is, I think this one is so, so powerful. Um, when you do have that sponsor on the phone, typically what happens is the person who is asking for the sponsorship dominates the conversation. They want to be, and it's, it's coming from a very genuine place. It's coming from a very, um, you know, they really want to sell themselves and they really want to tell them how great they are, but sometimes it can be, it, it can actually shut the sponsor down. You know, if, if that conversation is really one-sided and telling them all about what they can do, because if you think about it, that sponsor, if you're giving a very cookie cutter, here's what we do, here's what we do, here's who we are, here's, you know, these are the, this is what we have to offer. Then that sponsor doesn't hear anything that, that intrigues them. It could be a no. And that's the same thing on, you know, an email. And that happens a lot where I just, I get sponsorship, um, you know, a presentation or, you know, a, you know, an email that just tells me, but doesn't ask me a question, you know, it just tells me and it's, it, I don't want to have to do the work and, and teach them, you know, as the sponsor and, and go into that. So it, some, you know, it really lends to a no when you dominate the conversation or you're not asking questions and having been on this side now as a consultant, I can tell you that not one time has anyone asked me what my goals are in sponsorship? Not once. And that's that's something it's very interesting. And when, so, you know, kind of on the, I'm on the other side of the Oreo now, right? So I started out with um, being the decision maker for sponsorships. Then I sold sponsorships and I um, consulted with companies selling sponsorships. And now I'm on the other side of being the decision maker and it's so fascinating having gone through the last, you know, 15 years in my career and seeing this side of it again, nobody asks me any questions. It's so funny, you know, and they just put this random dollar amount on it. And, and it's, it's, I really do 
there's, you're going to get so much more if you'll just ask them questions. So listening is super important. So what, what my advice is to kind of give an outline of who you are, you know, what, you know, the age range of your, let's just take the event, you know, a horse show, for example, you know, the age range of your competitors, if they're the amateurs, are they professionals, um, you know, kind of give an overview, how long does a show last, you know, just a, just a basic overview and then start asking questions, you know, so tell me about, you know, what's an ideal sponsorship for you? What does that look like? And let them talk. And as they're talking, take notes and listen, really listen to what they're saying. So, like I said, you know, no one is asking questions when I'm on this side of it. And, um, the company that I consult with is triple crown feed and they want to be in front of the decision maker in the barn. So who is that? And they're very intentional. They want to have a conversation. They really want to understand what the needs are of the horse. They're very intentional about meeting the needs of the horse. And they also really love to support youth programs, um, which is really cool. You know, I mean, they mm-hmm. really, they really know who they want to talk to. And if somebody would just ask me, you know, like, <laughs> hey, you know, who is it that you, you know, what's an ideal sponsorship? I would be able to, and I do, I end up telling them this, you know, we really right. want to be in front of the decision maker, you know, how, can you help me with that? It really throws them off. So that goes back to knowing who, who you are and who comes to your events, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it, it really, it's all really tie into each other because when I say, when I say, well, we really want to be in front of the decision maker you know, can you, can you provide that opportunity? And a lot of times they're like, Oh, I don't know. You know, it's like, well, you should know. Um, <laughs> you know I'm like here, I'm trying to help you. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but listening and really hearing what the sponsor is looking for. And then if you, you know, it's okay to say, you know, I've taken some notes. I really want to be able to help you with this. Let me do some research. Let me get back to you. I would rather hear that than somebody try to make something up. It's, you know, that whole being authentic. I would rather someone say, let me take some time to think about how I can meet this, you know, to meet your goals. And let's, if you wouldn't mind, let's get back on the phone. Like, I would love that, you know, and really us come up together with a sponsorship. And the first thing that I'll ask when I get a proposal, a very cookie cutter proposal, the first thing I ask is, are you open to customizing this? Everyone, 100%, they are. 100% they are, but that should be set up front. So when you're talking, you know, when you are conversing with a sponsor and you're asking them their goals, say, you know, we're, we're open to ideas. If you have ideas and it within reason, we're willing to do that. You know, and I always, you know, I'd say that on that side of it, you don't want to do something that's going to cost you a bunch of money, but if you can put their logo somewhere else for free, or you can shout them out over the you know, the intercom or, you know, whatever, then for free, you know, if you can offer these things for free and it adds to the benefits for that sponsor, they're going to be really happy with that. Okay. And then, so just to expand on that a little bit too, when I do get a proposal before I respond, the first thing I do is I go on social media, I stalk their um, event page. I'm looking for how they are treating their current sponsors. I'm looking for reviews. I'm looking to see if they are even promoting anything. And what I'm attracted to initially is an event or horse show that is super active on social media, because especially with what has gone on in the last year, brands are 
they're trying to find a way to connect again with their customers. And especially in the horse show world where for so many horse shows, spectators were not allowed. Uh, so that's something that I do right away as I'm looking on social media. So if you're, if your horse show or your brand, you know, does not have that you're looking for sponsors, if you aren't, if you aren't active on social media, find someone. So this is another thing, Denise, that you and I have talked a lot about is finding somebody outsourcing. And if you can't afford to outsource, find an intern, you know, especially with social media, I'm positive you can find a writer, a young writer who would love to handle your social media and use that on their resume. So there are so many ways that you can, can get around that and um, be checking, you know, all of those, connecting all of those dots uh, for, for that sponsor. Okay. Along those lines, I'd love to hear from you on this. So specifically, since you said social media, so a lot of times, what I will see um, associations or shows do is do like a blanket post, right? That's just like, thanks so much to XYZ sponsor and put a link or an image and like, that's it. To me, from the outside looking in, it seems like that wouldn't be super valuable to me as a sponsor, because those are going to be some of the most least engaging posts that that they're going to put out there, right? It's like, yes, I got the logo on there and that's nice, but it's not that engaging. It's not going to get that much traction. I feel like for me, I would rather see them put a little bit of creativity in it and try to find a way to maybe start out with a story or something, you know what I mean? To make it more beneficial, but that's me. That's how my mind works when it comes to social media is how can we engaging? But since you specifically said you're attracted to events that are active on social media, what would you expect or hope to get out of a package as a sponsor, which I know I'm, I'm kind of flipping the switch, but speaking to an event host, right? So you're talking to an event host and you're saying, what would you want to get out of social media? Gosh, i literally have my head in my hands when you just said that, because <laughs> it, it drives me crazy. It happens all the time where an event will do, will post one picture, maybe two, and then do 15 hashtags <laughs> so it doesn't as a sponsor. And I really want everyone to hear this because I, I feel so strongly about this. Hashtags don't count. They just don't because when a, when it comes to a sponsorship, what that hat, what, and I think this is the funny thing too. They, they truly think they're doing a good job by mm-hmm. doing the hashtag, mm-hmm. but they don't understand that that hashtag only shows up when somebody is searching for that brand. So, mm-hmm. you know, if someone is putting in hashtag triple crown, maybe it'll show up possibly, but that is not the goal of the sponsor. You know, mm-hmm. the goal of the sponsor is to have more visibility and to have like what, what I am looking for, like what you said is something that's more creative and maybe that's, and I, um, I will go into this, you know, when we get uh, flipped to the other side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's, is it's easy as if a sponsor has donated, um, prizes, which that's another great sponsorship. You know, a lot of companies can't afford to actually sponsor a show, but they can give you great prizes. Well, you're, your customer, your rider loves great prizes, you know, so that is an, that is such an easy thing to post every single winner that gets a prize, you know, and really taking the time. And I think that's what a lot of, um, you know, event plan, you know, event organizers, horse show organizers don't realize it. And we'll talk about this. The post event is just as important as the pre and the, and the during, um, but even during the event and, you know, and, and, oh, we're so excited. Look who we ran into, you know, the triple crown rep, you know, it's, it's as easy as those kinds of things. Um, and, 
there's so many different ways and, and you're so good at that. And if somebody would just, you know, if they would really listen to, you know, even some of your past podcasts and <laughs> there's so many, so many social media tips out there on how to be creative without that one post with the 15 hashtags and know that, that when I see that it, it really, I'm like, Oh, wow. You know, we spent $5,000 on that, mm. mm, yeah. you know? And unfortunately what's, it's a no for next year, you know? Mm. And that's, that's something that event organizers as a whole that I don't see, they do such a good job in so many, so many ways, but they, they're not thinking long-term and it's so much easier if you do a really good job the first time you have a sponsor, just to, the, the time that you spend doing that will be just, it's amazing how that investment up front will benefit you years to come. I mean, I've had sponsors that have been with me, you know, that were with me for 10 years, you know, and you don't have to keep reselling them and you're establishing that trust because you, you did follow through with all of those things. And I am getting a little ahead of myself. That's my fault. Okay. I told you I would. The social media, I thought that was a good one to point out because people need to know, yes, if you're going to promise social media, be creative, um, be specific about what you're promising. So that's super good. Okay. Go ahead. Number four. Well, this is perfect timing because number four is execute. And the first thing that you have to do is do what you what you say you're going to do. So I want to say it again. Do what you say you're going to do. This is so important. It is the most vital thing in sponsorship marketing. Um, well, I think in any kind of any kind of marketing in anything that you are asking someone to invest, they're trusting you. There's it's it's truly it's, it's trust. They trust that you're going to ha- do that. You don't want them saying, are my banners up? Is my this up? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? They're trusting that you're going to do that because really it's, it is a contractual agreement. So the first thing you need to do is do what you say you're going to do. Um, so something that I developed when I was in, when I was working with the Atlanta steeplechase, I had literally like 50 sponsors. So i did I, the first year <laughs> I didn't, I just, it was like drinking out of a fire hose, but the first year I realized on the day of the race, there was no way for me to really to check that everything was in place, you know, and this is such a massive event, but there were so many smaller events within that and every sponsor. And I always said this, I wanted every sponsor to feel like the bride, everyone. I didn't want Coke to feel more special because they spent a hundred thousand than, you know, my jump sponsor who spent a thousand. I wanted every sponsor to feel like the bride. I wanted them to feel valued because they were, you know, they really, I really did value that partnership and their faith in me and their trust in me asking them, you know, to, to invest this kind of money into a one day event. Um, so I learned from that first year and I developed a notebook system. So what I would do, and this is so easy to implement on any level and it's old school, but I promise you, you're going to want this notebook on the day of, um, but I developed a notebook system where I would put in every, so I put in the, the proposal, I would put in the contract, I would print out emails and um, I created an evaluation sheet um, that I'll talk about a little bit too later on. But um, so. I had that all in the notebook and I had the tabs so that I made sure that on the day before and the day of, and this is super important, you want to make sure that checklist that you have. So I would take the agreement, which was pretty long, and I would put it into a checklist form for each sponsor. 
And then I would go around and put an, you know, put an X in the box of each one that was, that was checked off the list. And so that way I made sure that was done before the event, because the day of, you never know what's going to happen. You know, you could have a horse colic, you could have rain, you could have fire, you know, it just crazy things happen on the day of events. So you want to be super prepared before and just make sure that everything is, is already done and having that checklist. And then what I found was that when, um, uh, you know, and sponsors, they, they, they're accountable for that money too. So they're frazzled on the day of they, you know, at the steeplechase, they would have guests, they had a lot going on. But if someone said like, you know, I didn't see my banner over there. And so then I could look through, nope, it's there. Let's look again. Oh, there it is. You know, so, but if it wasn't checked off on the list then I could say, oh my gosh, let's go make sure that that happens. So for example, um, the banners on the track, you know, and this is something with, when I was saying like going through this checklist, but this is a little bit of an offshoot of that. This is how, how personal it was to me to make sure that everything that I said I was going to do that I did. So the banners on the track doesn't seem like a big deal. Volunteers could put them up, which I did let them do the first year. And visually everything was out of alignment. Some were higher, some were lower, some were you know, it just was all over the place. So for seven years, um, I put up the banners myself and these are, you know, three by 12 banners. These were massive banners and I would have a group that helped me, but I put up those banners. They, and I wanted them to look perfect. I wanted the sponsor when they walked in the door to go, wow, that looks so good. And so that's really important that if somebody, you know, I always felt like some, some people think, oh, it's just a banner but it isn't. It's the brand. It's their brand. It's their baby. So if they, if you've told them that you're going to do something and it's not done, it, it just, it puts a wrench into the entire trust of the entire partnership. You know, every little detail really does count. So take that on, you know, or, or at least oversee it if you have to delegate things like that, which trust me, you know, me putting up the banners the day before wasn't the best use of my time, but it was the most effective use of my time because that was part of the relationship that I had with those sponsors. Coke knew that I was physically putting up those banners and they, and we stored them in my garage because I wanted to make sure that my sponsors you know, that what their investment was really well taken care of. Um, and then, so with that too, um, it's a part of like doing what you say you're going to do, communicate during the day. And if your sponsor isn't there and yes, this it's hard, you know, it is hard to find the time, but set an alarm on your phone that says, check in with, you know, um, the Chevrolet dealer, you know, whoever it is, check in with so-and-so check in with so-and-so set alarm so that you don't the day's going to go by so fast. The weekend's going to go by so fast. Make sure that you're checking in with those sponsors. If they're on site, then you want to go around. You want to go to their booth and you want to thank them for being there. What can I do to help you? Do you need anything? Is there anything that I can make this? If you over communicate, you will find that that sponsor will be so much happier. Even if they don't have something that they're, that they are irritated about or questioning if they feel ignored, they're going to find something. So if they feel like you really care and you really value that they're there, or even if it's, especially if they're not there, that they know that you're on it, that you're, you're sending them pictures of their banners, you're sending them pictures of 
their booth, if somebody else is, you know, whatever it is, but really communicating, overly communicating will really also help um, maintain that trust. Um, yeah. So that's it for number four. <laughs> okay. I'm going to piggyback on you there where you were talking about communicating and checking in with them. It made me think, so prior to this life, I worked at a chocolate and candy association and I was in charge of selling booths for the expo. And, and as a part of that, during our expo, I absolutely would walk around. And like you said, check on each one. Is there anything you need? You know, when we provided a catered lunch, go around, Hey, just making sure, you know, someone from your booth is welcome to go and get lunch you know, that personal touch, because on the flip side, while it is a very busy day, if event organizers are not going and doing that check-in, then if they, if your sponsors only see you when they first get there, right? When they're like, Hey, where do you want me to set up my table? Where do you want me to put this? And then they never see you again. Then that also leaves an impression, right? So it's like the back and forth. They both Absolutely. leave an impression. If you're doing that check-in, that cements that relationship. But if you're never checking in, then that kind of does the opposite. And they're going, well, I never saw them again. I mean, I would have loved to have known where I could just go get a drink. Do I really need to go to the concession stand or is there a place for us? You know, those types of things, um, like you said, they hold so much value and give you an opportunity to really cement that relationship with your sponsors. Exactly. Exactly. You just, you said it perfectly. And it's, it's such an easy thing to do. It's also an easy thing not to do. So you really have to be right? intentional. Yes. Um, you know, and we do have the luxury of having, you know, alarms on our phone and, and, and that really does help kind of, you know, bring you back to, okay, I need to make sure that I run by and see them. And it's really powerful. And it also, if you, if, if you don't do that and they feel like they've just been sold to, you know, they got their check mm-hmm. and they're out. You know, yeah. that's a, that's yeah. a really discouraging feeling as a sponsor. You know, the, you kind of get a feeling like you've been a little bit used and that's not good. Yeah, absolutely. So true. Okay. I love this. All right. So we've executed, we've done what we said we're going to do. What is last? So last, and this is, I think that this is one of the most important things at any level. And even if you Maybe don't do the two, three, and four that well. Um, thanking and following up is so powerful. Um, I remember somebody saying, and I've thought about this probably for the last 20 years, we don't remember the thank yous that we got, but we remember the ones that we didn't. And it is really important that a sponsor, I just think, I think this goes I think this is for everything, really. You know, when people feel appreciated and they feel valued, it really cements that relationship. And again, in the time that I have been in this consulting position, not one sponsor has reached out to thank me. Not one. Uh, No way. And so I, you know, and I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm really not. It just people get busy and they're on to the next thing. But it's very powerful to me when I work so hard for my client to make sure that they are in, you know, that that we are using their money appropriately and maximizing their dollars. And then I just, and then nothing. And I do understand because I've, I've, I understand, you know, like they are literally onto the next thing right. and maybe they feel like they did, but there is nothing better, nothing better than a handwritten thank you note. It does take time, you know, photos, um, just anything, you know, but following up. So 
this was, this proved to be very power. And I, I have done this for years. So I started this when I was in, um, in my marketing, my field marketing director position. So after an event, I would actually put together a recap for my boss. No one had ever done this. This was crazy. So I would do pictures, you know, of whatever that we sponsored or whatever we were doing or the sales program. I would kind of run the numbers and then I would put together this little presentation. And he just loved that. And I I ended up implementing that in the sponsorship world. So then after after so I did this in Atlanta Steeplechase and after the event, I would go through so during it was a year-long preparation, you know. So this is very different. You have to take this into, you know, take components of this. But every time Atlanta Steeplechase or any of my sponsors were mentioned in any press, you know, anywhere, I would put that in a literally in a bin or I would save a photo of it or whatever. And then I would create books for each sponsor. Um, and they were, I just had them, you know, I'd print them out and have them bound. But I knew because I'd been in that position, whoever made that decision to sponsor with us, I knew they were accountable to somebody. I knew Mm -hmm. that they had to justify those funds. So why won't, why wouldn't, why would I make them do that? Why wouldn't I take the time and do that for them? And this is why I have such good relationships with my sponsors. You know, I mean, they, it was so appreciated that they didn't, they're onto their next thing too, or they've got 10 other things that they're doing. So you don't have to go that, that big. I mean, these are, you know, this is a different level of sponsorship, but it's so easy. You can, you can, you know, send pictures, you can, um, like I said, follow up with, you know, do a framed photo. I mean, that's so easy, you know, do something, a handwritten note, um, and let them know, you know, hey, like I did this morning for one of my sponsors for the app. You know, I took a screenshot. She got 359 views of her horse for sale and 31 click-throughs. And I just screenshot it and I, I sent it over to her. You know, she didn't have to ask me, you know, I it's it's part of this relationship. I want her to feel valued. And I'm so grateful that she's trusting me, you know, and partnering with the app. So um, the thank you and the follow-up is so, so important. And um, another trick that I did that anybody can do because they horse shows always have photographers, give that photographer a list of your sponsors and ask them to go around. And every time they see, you know, when they, they can do this and they literally can do this in 30 minutes and you, if you want to pay them a hundred bucks, trust me, it's worth it. But ask them to take photos of the banners of the jumbotron of the tailgate, you know, of the, um, concession stand, you know, farm that out to the photographer. They'll love it. And, you know, they might end up even, you know, selling something and and they would love their name in front of that, in front of that sponsor, but make that a little bit easier on you. Go through, pull those photos, put them in an album and email them to your sponsor. That would be so appreciated, you know? So it's really about, um, it is about that. Like I said, it's just the, the, Follow-up, the post-event is just as important as the pre-event because that sets you up for years to come and developing that sponsorship partnership, not just not just selling. And I see events do this every year. They start from scratch. They start all over because they weren't willing to make that investment in the beginning where really if they had made that investment, established those relationships, they're coming out with five or six, 10 sponsors right off the bat. And then they could just add to those, you know? Yeah, so the thank you and the so follow-up is really important. Yeah. 
And so as a part of that, did you typically also include like stats? So I know you said pictures is obviously great, um, but did you include stats for them? Like this is how many people were present or this is how many competitors or whatever, you know, to give them some of those measurements to be able to see how many people they were in front of or who they were in front of. You know, I know you talked about you do that in the beginning when you sell it. Did you also do that at the end? I did. Yeah. As much as I could, you know, as much as I could and given them as much information as I, um, for, for me, it was, you know, with, I could, I could. So what I would do, I did trades, I did trade partnerships with media, which is, is a whole nother conversation probably. <laughs> um, but I had a zero marketing budget when I was with the Atlanta steeplechase. So I was expected to sell hundreds of thousands of dollars in sponsorships but I had a zero marketing budget. So I learned to be really thrifty and really crafty, you know, and, and how I did this. So I traded out sponsorships with local media. They loved it. So they would cover the race. They would be, you know, billed as a big sponsor. Um, so then I would take that and, and I would make sure that, you know, that they got, I, you know, I was responsible for the photos that they got post-race. So I made sure that the sponsors were in there. And then I actually did go through the due diligence of, of equating a value to that, you know, how much that advertisement would have been for that sponsor um, kind of thing. So, but you can take that and implement it into any kind of anything, you know, a smaller event. Um, any, anything is better than nothing, you know? So yes. if you're giving them some kind of feedback, like this is who we had or, you know, and um and we'll talk about this on the, on the other side, but, you know, if it's something like for, you know, maybe it's product trial, maybe Coke wants to, or maybe Red Bull, you know, wants to give out Red Bulls, you know, that would be a great sponsorship for somebody, um, you know, letting people know, well, we know, we know that 150 people tried your product. That's awesome. That's a great mm -hmm. stat then that Red Bull can then take back to his, you know, regional manager and say, Hey, you know, cause that's huge for a brand product trial is huge, you know? So, um, that's important where maybe they don't, you know, this is what also goes back to finding out what's important to them. Do they want their logo somewhere? Or are they looking really for that, for that, um, product trial? So giving them any kind of stats is super beneficial and anything that you can be proactive on and giving that sponsor, it's going to be very appreciated, very appreciated. Perfect. Okay. Oh, this is so good. I cannot wait for my listeners to get a hold of this information. Um, especially, you know, we're ending a lot of the summer shows, um, but that means a lot of people are preparing for what's coming. So this is really, really great timing. Okay. So we're talking still about event organizers. So before we move on to sponsors, which will be the next episode, is there anything else that did not fit in your beautiful method here that you think my listeners should know about being a great event organizer when it comes to sponsorships? Yeah, I think that I, you know, covered in detail everything. I, but if I could focus on one message, be excited and passionate about what you're doing. You know, there's nothing worse than we always say in my house, like I always want when we have guests over, I don't want to be that stressed out hostess. I want to have it all done, all prepared so I can enjoy the the evening with my friends. And you can really apply that to any kind of an event or even if you're a rider, but really giving that positive experience, being, being authentic, being excited, you know, just really 
doing the hard work behind the scenes, but when you are when you are in front of your sponsors, in front of your your um, your guests, your clients, you know, is to really, you know, let them see that positive side of you. I think that we've all been to um, a horse show where the horse show secretary is just unapproachable, you know, or the event organizer is so stressed out that they're unapproachable. And that just gives you such a yucky feeling. Um, and it's hard because it's stressful, you know, but really put on that happy face and um, really show your excitement and your passion for, for what you are doing, you know, that comes across and that's, that's really, really meaningful. Oh, I love that. That's super, super good. Okay. So before we jump on to sponsors, because this is the first part, the first episode, I do want to let you have a chance to tell everybody real quickly about where they can find you. Um, just in case they're like, Hey, I won't get that information until next week. So go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you and a little bit more about uh, the app that you have been developing. Cause of course I know that you share that you wanted to share this information freely, but you are actually not currently doing this. This is not what your gig is sponsorships. Um, you're actually, you've moved on to a new app. So share a little bit about that. Yes. So, and thank you. Uh, I am very excited about the app. It is called Main Street Market and it is in the App Store and Google Play. Um, Our website is MainStreetMarket.com and that's M-A-N-E. So uh, MainStreetMarket.com. And yes, I have moved on from, I loved my time in sponsorship sales and I loved my time in, you know, being the, the, the sponsor and I have one client now, as I mentioned, and I'm and that's um, I'm I'm not taking on any new clients, um, except I will do consulting for nonprofits for free. I love to help nonprofits. I'm really involved in horse rescue, so if there are any nonprofits that that need help with that sponsorship package or fundraising, I'm I love to help um, with that. So, but the app is um, it is. So cool. I just have to say it is so cool to be able to pull up my app that I thought of in 2019 um, and to see it actually really taking traction. Like I said, we've only been live for about 90 days, but it is an app that helps in the search for sales horses and equine services. Super simple. And then it's also a marketing platform for sales horses and equine services and brands. So um, when you download the app, you'll see that it literally says horses for sale and equine services or list your horse or list your service. So right now we are very focused on that building in the United States only. And next year we will move into real estate and to horse shows and clinics. Um, but really our goal is to keep it very, very simple and um, that's what we're doing. So it's it's growing every day. We've got new horses listed every day. We're getting more and more just incredibly positive reviews. And it's just, a, it's a great resource um, for, for those things. I don't say all things equestrian yet, but, but for horses and for services, um, it's free to download. And I definitely apply my knowledge and my experience and my passion for sponsorship and advertising in helping my advertisers get more eyes on their horses and their services. So I, I treat my listers, um, the listings as someone who has a pin on the map where they're in the list. And then I have advertisers that are on the website and the app. And, you know, I treat them like gold because that's what they are to me. And I'm so grateful. I had people jump on board that didn't know me and didn't know anything about the app, but they saw it and they thought it was cool. And they've been really, really happy with 
the promotions that they're getting on social media and the attention they're getting on the app. So they can find me there. And the, my email is support at MainStreetMarket.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. I want everybody to go check that out for sure. And we'll, of course, link to it in the show notes. So, and of course, a highlight of all of these things will be in the show notes as well. So this will be episode 46. So it will be stormlily.com slash 46. All right, friends, wasn't that so good? I just am so grateful for India sharing so freely and so practically so that you can take this. And what I love is that when she was talking about being excited and passionate about what you're doing, you horse business owners are passionate about what you're doing. And so that's almost easy for you. And so I hope that you'll take that and be inspired and be reminded to keep that passion as you're talking about potential sponsorships or talking to potential sponsors and let them know why you're excited about that. They're going to love that excitement. So of course, I will link everything on the show notes for you. So I will link to the Main Street Market app from India that she had talked about that I'm very excited about. And I will, of course, also link to the episodes that I told you about earlier regarding advertising. Now stay tuned because next week, India is back and she is sharing specific tips and strategies for you as a horse business when you are the sponsor. So she's going to share how you can make the most of that, how you can know which events or people or riders are a good fit for you to sponsor. And so stay tuned. I'm very grateful and excited for you to hear that conversation next week. And so until then, I hope you have an awesome day. We'll see you later. 